Greetings. Tonight we're going to take a look at the I Am of Jesus Christ at the end of John 8. We're going to start with that because it was a confrontation Jesus was having with the Jews and it was a critical point as far as him declaring to them who he was. That's what they were kept digging at to try to get at. Who are you? And surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Well, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me or honors me, of whom you say, He is our God. You have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Well, the Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? When they ask him that, it's a perfect, which means you have seen in the past tense, you've seen Abraham. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen him, and that view of him persists to this present time. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, when he made this statement, that is claiming to be God Almighty. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus, and I hate this part of the translation here, mine says, hid himself. Others say, slipped away and went out of the temple. The word there is a passive, that Jesus was hidden. In the Greek, you would have three voices, an active voice, a middle voice, and a passive voice. An active voice means you are acting on something like you kicked the ball. So that's an active voice. A middle voice is an action in reference towards yourself. Well, this is not an active and it's not a middle. It's a passive. Passive means acted upon. So Jesus, he didn't slip away. He didn't hide himself. He was acted upon by some force outside of him. And the reason that's important to me is because we want to know who Jesus is, what kind of man he was when he was here, and then, and then who he is now, what he is like now. And for translators to not give us the straight translation here is a great disservice. Now, my New American Standard does say in the little margin, it says literally was hidden. Well, at least they're being honest there because he was acted upon. Now, what does that mean? How was he acted upon? Who acted upon him? Well, it doesn't tell us that. I mean, uh, on the road to Emmaus, his appearance was changed in such a way. They were walking along. They didn't even know that they were talking to Jesus. Now, that was after the resurrection, but it could have been that his appearance was changed. And in, in Luke, it talks about one place that he passed through them right in their midst. Or it's possible he was hidden that, I mean, I don't think this is the case, but maybe the disciples came and carried him away. I mean, they knew 
that Jesus was creating his own death sentence with these people. I mean, Nicodemus knew it too. That's why he came to Jesus at night. He wanted information from Jesus so he could defend him from these lethal agents that were in the Sanhedrin. The disciples, when he came out of the seven woes, he came out of the temple. They were saying, look at the buildings, how great and beautiful they are. I mean, let's change the subject. I mean, you're getting yourself in so deep here. These guys are going to kill you. And Jesus wouldn't have any part of that. He said, you see all those stones of these beautiful buildings? There isn't going to be one left on top of each other. It's going to be left desolate. Well, 70 AD, sure enough, it was just raised, totally destroyed to the ground. And what I've read is that there was rumors that there was gold in between these stones. So, I mean, all the stones were just completely demolished. At any rate, to me, it's important to know that Jesus was exceedingly courageous. He, he said earlier in this chapter that he didn't do anything on his own initiative. But the, as the Father taught him, thus he spoke. And even the, the miracles he did. And, and we're told in Isaiah that his ears were opened every morning as a disciple. And we're told he was obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So his obedience extends well before the actual event of the cross. It's all of these confrontations he would have that were sealing his fate that would land him on the cross. This week, as I was thinking about this, I've had an extremely difficult week here. Won't get into why. Been a little over a week. Last night was the first night I actually got some sleep. But there's a passage in Hebrews says that in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, when he offered up both prayers and supplications or petitions with loud crying and tears to him who was able to save him from death and who was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. For Jesus to learn obedience through these things that he suffered, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? He had no flaw. He had no sin. He had done anything wrong. And yet, through this kind of ordeal, he would learn obedience. I don't know what all is in front of me, and I don't know what's in front of you, but we are going to become obedient. Because he said, having then been made perfect, Jesus, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation eternal deliverance from our sins and from this age. So, while this is a bit of a side note, I did want to bring that out, that Jesus was extremely courageous, the most courageous of all people that have ever lived on the face of this globe. And he didn't hide himself from these people, and he didn't slip away from these people. He was acted upon and was hidden because his time had not yet come. And he knew that, and he always stood. If we want to become like Jesus, we need that same kind of working in us to give us the courage to face life and to face the things that confront us where just as he didn't run away, we won't run away. God help us all. Now, I want to go back then to the I am, because 
when they said, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have in the past seen Abraham with that knowledge coming to the present, this is the end of this argument where he finally reveals to him who he is. Truly, truly, listen up here. I say to you, before Abraham was ego ami, I, I am. It's an intensive. But when he says before Abraham was born, that word means before Abraham came into existence. Before Abraham was created. Before Abraham existed, Jews, I am. That came from Moses at the burning bush. Who should I say that you are? I am. This is blasphemy because you're declaring yourself to be God Almighty. So they understood that as a claim to be God himself. Now, as far as the I am, I am what? Well, he does give us definition all through the Bible of what kind of I am's. And I want to focus just on the New Testament. Here's one thing he said. I am gentle and humble in spirit. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven that was in the wilderness with the Jews. I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep, or I am the door. I am the good shepherd. You can see there's message after message here. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. When he's before Pilate, he said, You have said correctly, I am a king. However, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would be fighting. Jesus admitted he was a king. And in the Old Testament, you will see not a king, the king. Really, I am a king. I am king. The A is not in the original Greek, which I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Now we get in the Revelation. I am the Alpha and Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, which means I am the beginning and the end. I am alive forevermore. And the last one I've got here is I am the root and offspring of David. The root would be the Genesis, and the offspring is the, the latter part. So Jesus is the precursor of David, the root of David, but he's also the offspring of David. He said that in one of his confrontations with these same scribes and Pharisees and got them all confused. But he also says there, the bright morning star. Some translations think that's talking about David. I think he's talking about Jesus. I am the bright morning star. Dawn coming. And that bright morning star. That's who he is. So those are just some of the I am's and I can do a lengthy series on that, but right now we're just going to look at one grouping. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I want to just stop there because the rest of it, I hate to say, degenerates. 
into a discussion between him and the disciples where they're still trying to figure things out and he's working with them for where they were at, which we all need that. So he does have to degenerate to come down to our level. And that's what he was doing with them and that's what he has to do with us. Praise God for that. But let's just look at what he said here. When he said, do not let your heart be troubled. It means just that, just in turmoil or all shook up. And then I think it's imperatives here. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this could be translated as what's called an indicative, which means just a statement. Or it could also be an imperative, which is a command. And I think he means it here as a command. Either way would be legal. The first part is already a command. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and also believe in me. That's what I think he's saying. Then he goes on to say, In my Father's house, or in my Father's dwelling, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Dwelling places, the word there, it means a stay in any place. A place you can stay. Or it means an abode, or a dwelling, or a mansion. So in my Father's dwelling place, there are many places to stay. Or many mansions, or many abodes. The family word, minnow, it means to continue or to remain, to settle, to rest, to last, something that endures, to continue unchanged, to be permanent, to be constant, steadfast, or to indwell. So this place that he's preparing for us is a solid rock, a solid, eternal dwelling place for us because he says I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you might be also now think about that if he's going to prepare a place for you as a Christian or me as a Christian is he just going to leave it empty in other words he went ahead and made this and then it's going to be vacant Every single one of us, he will not lose one of us. He's going to prepare a place for us, and he wants us to be with him where he is. And this abode is a permanent, unchanging dwelling. It can't be burned up, can't be broken down, cannot be lost. A place of constance, permanence. There's no telling what we're in for. You know the way where I'm going. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I want to talk about the way, first of all. You could translate it that way, but it could also be translated, I am the road. For me, I like thinking of it that way. Because to say, I am the way, is like a way, it's kind of like pointing towards something that's a little bit philosophical. But to say, I am the road, I can relate to that more. I'm walking along, and I'm walking along a road. And I walked along my own road, and there was nothing productive out of it. It was not a place of joy, or peace, or contentment, or purpose, or fulfillment. And we can also relate to forks in the road. As you're walking along, all of a sudden you can go this way or you can go that way. So I like the idea of more of I'm on a road and he wants us to get on his road, the King's Highway that is heading towards Mount Zion in the far north.
to abandon our roads. He looked down from heaven to see if there's any act wisely, any who seek after God. Together they become corrupt. Each one has gone his own way or on his own road. So God is calling us from that road to get onto his road because he is the road. Now also when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, the word the is a demonstrative article. It is pointing to the way. And in the Greek, what's interesting, they don't have an indefinite article, A. So with a noun that doesn't have this definite article, you could translate it either with the A or not. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses in their New World Translation in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God or a God. You could do it either way. It's, it's legitimate each way because there is no indefinite article, and sometimes you can put it in, sometimes you don't. So by context, you've got to know if that A should be in there or not. So it's either in the beginning was a word, and the word was the God, and the word was God, or they choose a God. Well, the reason we go with it being God is because when you look at other parts of the New Testament, he is declared as God. So he's not a God, he is God. For example, in Hebrews it says, let all the angels of God worship him. It's clear you're to worship God and God only. I mean, nothing could be more clear in the Bible than that. And the angels of God are commanded to worship him. Well, that's when then you can know by going through the entirety of the Bible, that should be translated in John 1 as, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word then became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's how you can find out sometimes what would be the correct way to translate something even though legally technically you could do it either way so when he says i am the way it's demonstrative which means there is no other way pointing directly to this one and only road and the truth not a truth and the life now as far as the truth is concerned i've said this a lot of times if you listen to me at all i am absolutely certain that anything that is true in any area of existence, God is behind that. Whether it's science, whether it's governance, anything that is true, God is behind that because he is the truth. Now, what that means for me is error, whether it's malicious error or just ignorance error, there is no way it can ever lead to anything positive. So why do I want to cling to error in any area of existence? Why would I want to hang on to it? It can't lead me anywhere of benefit or I can benefit you or anybody or anything. Therefore, we want to grow in truth. We want God to teach us what is true. And he is the truth. All truth resides in him. And that is where we need to go and ask him for wisdom to be able to discern it to know it, to embrace it, and to live it. Because that is the place, the only place, of also life. He is the life. I guess as far as that is concerned, anything that is alive is a miracle. We are walking miracles. And part of what I mean by that is that science itself has no idea how anything is alive. When God said he made man from the dust of the earth, guess what? Turns out, it's exactly what we are. 
Scientists don't even agree how many elements compose the human body. Some say 23, and I've read some up to 26. I don't know if the debate is over arsenic and lead, if it's truly a part of our body, or if some consider it a pollutant that's in all of our bodies. I don't know. But for some reason, they can't even agree on how many elements, but they all do agree we're made from inorganic elements. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Anything that is alive, it is because God has made it alive. I have more and more respect for anything that is alive to where it's hard for me to even want to kill things that are really negative creatures. We are in a fallen state and there are many things that are hostile to us, but it brings me no pleasure in death of anything, quite honestly, that is alive because life is a miracle. Even in my abortion arguments, I talk about the fertile egg, discussing what is it, you know, what is it scientifically? It is living matter, and living matter is so precious in a world that is dominated by inorganic elements and a universe that I don't think has anything but inorganic elements. Living matter is so exceedingly rare. A speck of dust would be a mountainous overstatement on a scale as far as how much matter is actually alive. And Jesus said, I am the life. He's the creator of life. He is alive forevermore. And he concludes, no one comes to the Father but through me. Why is that the case? Because what prohibits us from being able to go to God the Father and go into this place where there's many mansions of his abode what prevents us from being able to go there is our sin. There will be no sin there, no unrighteousness. There will be no place found for anyone that is in their sins. And truth is, they wouldn't want to be there anyway because it is a place of life and a place of God to where the agenda, the thoughts, the whole thing is different than what the mindset of the flesh and sin is. There's no way those who want to wallow in the mire, there's no way they would be happy in the abode that is coming. They wouldn't be happy there because it's not their nature and it's not anything they want any part of. So the only way we can get there is if our sin problem is paid for. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's why we got to go through him to where our sins are removed and then step by step, we are getting out of that pig pen and we're getting more and more cleaned up, more and more obedient to God, more and more like God, more and more interested in the things of God to where when we exit this life, we will then be able to go full blast into the things of God. Now, anyone that isn't interested in God's things now and thinks they're going to be 100% interested then, they're deluding themselves. So these are three of the I am's. Maybe I'll continue with some of this if I have further opportunity to uh, share of some of the other I am's to give us a little more definition of who Jesus is as the I am. Well, I want to thank you for listening. And like I say in my other videos, listen to these things and you will learn great and mighty things that you have not known and you will indeed live.